Welcome to Kindreds, a podcast for soul sisters. I'm Ashley Peterson. And I'm Katie Zay. We're kindred spirits talking all things faith, feminism, and friendship from our homes in the South. Hey, Katie. Hey, Ashley. How's it going? It's going okay. Um, I am learning to cope with life and this crazy life stage better than I was a few weeks ago. So that's my update. How about you? Yeah, um, it was a nice, we just came off of Memorial Day weekend. Had a oh, nice that time was with, nice. Yes. I did not realize how much I needed a three-day weekend until it was upon us. And I d- wasn't even really planning for it. We didn't go out of town or anything like that. I just had a nice, lovely, like, unplugged from work, spent time with family, went outside, and then um, Avery got a little sick, so we spent a day on the couch as well. All good things. <laughs> it was great. A day on the couch is sometimes really nice. And also a short work week after the long weekend is also nice. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So the day we're recording, this is a Friday. And I'm very grateful for that as well. Same. I'm ready for another weekend. (laughs) Yeah. So this topic that we're going to discuss today is on leadership. And this one was actually your idea. So I'm curious to know, why do you want to talk about leadership this week? I think I sent you an email when I was probably at a moment of feeling just kind of, I don't know, overwhelmed with responsibilities around leadership, which is what we're going to talk today, talk about today. And it's, uh, I usually want to have conversation with you and other friends when something's really weighing heavily on my mind. And leadership has been one of them for the last several months. I've talked Mm -hmm. before on the show about I've just stepped into a a really tough leadership role um, that is testing my limits and causing Mm. me to reflect on what kind of leader I have been, what kind of leader do I want to be, Um, is leadership something that's sustainable for me long term, and Mm -hmm. since you are also a leader in the social justice world, um, I thought, what better person to talk with than Ashley and and also to share our conversation with other people who are probably having some similar doubts and questions about what it means to be a leader. So I want to ask you, what is what's hard about being in leadership for you? And also what are the things about leadership that you enjoy? Mm. You just asked a bunch of really good questions. Yes, that's called stacking questions, which you're not supposed to do. So <laughs> we can take it one at a time and I can remind you of the questions. I <laughs> uh, love it. So I guess I will start with just a brief, like, my leadership history. Mm-hmm. No, this is not a job interview, but like, <laughs> just to sort of set some context for folks, I... um as soon as I graduated my internship at Vanderbilt, I, my very first job right out of college was as a department head and I managed a couple of employees. Wow. That's big. Yeah. And I can go a little more into that <laughs> as well. Cause that's a whole, that's a whole thing when you're managing people that are older than you oh, um, or yes. when you have a lot of responsibility right out of college that you maybe are not so prepared for. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so we did that for several years and, um, and I've shared this on the podcast before, you know, I was laid off from that job. I moved back to Mississippi and I, um, almost five years ago now founded a nonprofit, um, 
and I have been the executive director of that ever since. Five. It's been almost five years. That is yes. wild. So that's how, about how long we've known each other. I know. It is almost five years. And oh. you were one of my first phone calls on the job. Um, I'm so glad you called me. I know. So yeah, it has been almost five years. It's really crazy. But um, one thing I was not really prepared for, I was excited about starting a nonprofit um, Mm -hmm. and excited to be doing the work, but I was not prepared for what it would feel like for to be a leader um, for two reasons, I guess. I work from home and I'm also a director like at the top. And that those two things combined can feel really lonely. Yes. And I was mm-hmm. not prepared for that at all. When you're at the top and you I'm sure you've gone through this and might be going through this now, there's not always someone to bounce ideas off of, to talk through things with. It's not always appropriate to involve staff in higher level organizational and administrative issues. And sometimes it just feels like everything at the end of the day, you're the final decision maker and everything rests on your shoulders. And that just feels really heavy. And it's not always true, but it is, it's sometimes true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, I've had to really go out of my way to, um, build a support network of peers that aren't in my organization. And Mm -hmm. you are one of those peers for me. So I don't know. Does any of that ring true for you? All of it does. And one thing I hadn't thought about is being in leadership, but based at home in isolation is a Mm -hmm. very interesting uh, set of circumstances. And I guess it's probably more common now as people work remotely. But um, sometimes Mm -hmm. I think, am I I really a leader? I mean, I'm (laughs) making these decisions behind a screen or on a Zoom call or occasionally in person. But it's just a different picture of leadership than maybe the one that I had imagined mm-hmm. in my mind of like wearing a suit and going into an office and all of that. Or a I mean, turtleneck. Yeah, <laughs> turtleneck. Yeah. And so it's just a very different kind of way of, of leadership that again, I'm grateful for because there's a lot of flexibility, but sometimes I just think, am I, am I really leading? It, it's just mm-hmm. very weird. It's a bizarre situation for sure. As far as things that you enjoy about being a leader, things that you like, what would you say? Mm-hmm. My favorite part of leadership is is being in relationship with people. And mm-hmm. what I have found, I mean, this is kind of the unfortunate side of things. Sometimes people won't give me the time of day if I'm just Katie by myself. But with a leadership title attached, mm-hmm. I find that people are more interested in engaging with me. And so... I feel like leadership gives me access to to people I wouldn't have otherwise met. And I don't mean in a power play kind of way. It's more that I'm always longing to be in one-on-one relationship with people. Like everything I do is about getting into that kind of situation where we get to know each other mm-hmm. and and to think about ways to connect and partner. So I love that re- leadership gives me access to more of, more of the relationships that I want. And then I can also vouch for other people and connect them with other people that I know. So it it forms this trusted network of people who are all pretty much committed to doing the same kind of work. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's absolutely the best. And And I guess connected to that is helping other people step into their leadership capacity mm-hmm. and mentoring and supporting other people who 
deserve access to more and more leadership opportunities. So I, I like being able to be a support to those people as they kind of step in and are figuring out the same things that you and I are figuring out. Yeah, it is so awesome. That is definitely one of the benefits of being in a leadership role and in a mentorship role, maybe a little more, is when you watch somebody really like thrive under some circumstances that you helped create, you know, that is so, that's the rewarding part of it. Yeah, that's the best. That's when uh, I get enough fuel in my tanks to keep going for another couple of days is oh, <laughs> when Lord. I see stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I guess one of the things I like is I really chafed under management practices or organizational policies that like were too restrictive or maybe I didn't understand like when whenever I'm not in a leadership position and I'm thinking more career-wise now like I always want to know like why do we do things this way and Mm -hmm. that's just a part of my personality you know how did we get to this point and what's our big picture strategy and you know that's not always appropriate for every job, you know, sometimes you're there to carry out a specific task or project or work. And your job is not to question why you're doing it or think about whether systems could be better. And that is really one of my strengths. I think career wise is that more big picture stuff. And Mm -hmm. that's what I love about being a leader is having the autonomy to, to think through that, that kind of stuff and to have some say in like the overall vision of a, of an organization. Mm -hmm. Um, that's maybe my favorite aspect of being a director. Mm-hmm. Even though leadership is hard for you, it sounds like your personality and skills and way of thinking of things is really well-suited for leadership. Yeah. So even though maybe you could have less responsibility, but would not necessarily be satisfied in a different kind of role. So yep, I guess... I guess we're stuck because I, I resonate with that too. I think like, yeah. okay, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. So I've just got to, I've got to figure it out. So along those lines, I'm curious, what are the kinds of tools or um, ways of thinking that you've relied on to develop as a leader that have helped you out? Yeah, that's a great question. And I mentioned earlier that in one of my first leadership positions right out of college, I was managing employees who were a lot older than me. In one case, I think like 10, 15 years older than me. And um, that was really intimidating. And I also look back on my team now with some distance from that. I look back on the folks who were my team and just really appreciate how respectful they were of me. Because I don't think that's always true. We don't always give young leaders the respect that they're due, we kind of treat young people in general in the work world um, as though their contributions are not valuable, as though they don't mm-hmm. have any relevant experience to bring to the table. And, you know, I look back and that was absolutely not the case with the team that I had. They they treated me with a lot of respect. And so I'm very grateful for that. But one of the things that has served me well then and continues to now is just I've always had really strong boundaries at work around like professional versus personal as well as like work-life balance I think Mm -hmm. and um, I think especially when you're a young leader it's easy to let the lines blur between wanting to be friends with your people that you might manage or oversee and let those things come into you know let friendships kind of come into play in the office in a way that might not be appropriate when you have to make decisions that other people aren't going to like and Sometimes you have to be, that's another downside, I guess, to being a leader is sometimes you have to make decisions that are not popular with folks and Mm -hmm. sometimes it's tough and, um, 
for me, I've always found that boundaries are the, the way to kind of get through those tougher times while still having, you know, compassion and like fun at work and. But not complicating things by yeah. having multiple um, sorts of relationships happening at the same time. So it's like we can get along and have fun together and get to know another. But if if we have to part ways or if this person becomes upset with something I've done, it's not going to impact my social network of support. Mm-hmm. So I think that that makes a lot of sense. And, and I agree that boundaries are really important. And when I think about boundaries for me in this current moment, I'm thinking about compartmentalization in mm-hmm. my own mm-hmm. mind, which might be connected to what you're discussing. But for me, it's about not allowing the time when I'm not working to become about work, even if I'm physically doing something different. So yes, I've been taking Sammy to the pool after school because it's so hot here. Um, Like I go pick her up, we go to the pool for for an hour. And I'll find as we're there that I'm thinking about work still. And so Mm -hmm. I tend to really beat myself up internally. Maybe that's something you can relate with. I just have a really, really harsh inner critic. And so instead of saying, don't think about work right now, and like beating myself up, I've started saying internally to myself, I trust that I will have the capacity to deal with this when it's work time. Like, it's okay. I will be able to figure this out. Now is not the moment for me to do that. And it's a kinder message. And it's also an affirming message that, yeah, when, when I have, when I'm sitting down at my computer to work, like I will sort through this and it will all be good. Mm -hmm. I think that is so healthy and such a valuable perspective because that's how I am when I'm laying down to sleep at night and the hamster wheel starts of the laundry list of things to do tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And did I handle this situation appropriately? Um, you know, what, what's coming up on my calendar and having to just really be firm with this is for tomorrow. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Go to sleep. It's totally fine. You -hmm. will be able to handle this tomorrow. And I like the way you frame that, like trusting yourself to, to get You'll figure it out tomorrow mm-hmm. um, and you'll have the capacity then. I think that's a really good way to put it as opposed to why, you know, beating yourself up. Why can't I let this go? You know, right. That doesn't why can't help. I shut off? No, it doesn't. And, you know, I think you're do. it's good for Samantha too, like to, for you to unplug and, mm-hmm. and be really present with her. And that is so hard for leaders that have kids, I think is that balance of being really present with them even when work is calling yeah and realizing that the stuff of life I mean as much as I enjoy work and I'm not going to say motherhood is the end-all be-all because it's definitely not but the things that enrich me are the times when I'm not working like they give me what Mm -hmm. I need to do the work and they remind me why I do the work and so I have to have that separation sometimes to just enjoy life and be talking about something that's not work. Um, I think it actually enriches the work that I do to have experiences that are, that are outside of work. So I'm, I'm working on it. I'm definitely not perfect, but I think an area where I really have grown is building a team around me to fill Mm -hmm. in the gaps and being really clear about what my strengths and experiences are that I have because then I know what I don't have within myself and who do I need to rely on to fill in with their expertise. And I actually think being, this is a, this is a benefit to being a young leader, um, is that I don't feel like I'm very set in my ways. And so mm-hmm. I've been thrown into some leadership positions, kind of like you really much younger in life than other people have. Mm-hmm. And I think I was like, okay, it's, it's acceptable for a young person to say, Hey, I don't have experience in this. 
I don't know what I'm doing. I'm overwhelmed. I've never dealt like with something like this before. And, and calling up trusted people to say that, look, I don't know what to do. Can you help me figure out what to do? And seeking the collective wisdom before I make a decision mm-hmm. has really, really helped me and helped me figure out who are the people that I can trust. And a lot of times my gut is on point, but I always try to check in with people to make sure it's not off, right? Like, yep. can you, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm sensing. Can you help me think through, am I on or off? And uh, that's been a huge asset to me is just building up a team of people I can call on when I, when I need help. Mm-hmm. You're so good at that too. Do you remember that Google Hangout we used to do? Yeah. Uh, gosh, three or four years ago now. And it was for that same purpose. It, and you convened us and we were mm-hmm. basically a group of folks who were all in some sort of leadership capacity, um, doing strategy around reproductive rights and health. And um, we were all in different states. And so we did a like quarterly mm-hmm. Google Hangout mm-hmm. and it, the goal of it was literally just to support each other. We didn't mm-hmm. have a project we were working on together. We built some connections with each other and I think some, you know, ideas and um, things like that emerged of things that we could do. We shared what we were working on and that helped other folks. But I really appreciated that early on and I think mm-hmm. that that's something that our listeners maybe could replicate, you know, if they're looking for, um, support or tools, um, in their own leadership is to have, to think beyond like who's there in your local area and, and think about coordinating or putting together, um, some kind of, uh, virtual meetup basically. Cause I, I got a lot out of that and we don't do it anymore. I think we all kind of, um, Mm -hmm. really just stuff got in the way more than anything. And it served its purpose for a season where we exactly. all really needed it. That kind of stuff really helps when I'm stuck too. Everything you said about building that team of trusted folks to help you work through something before you make any kind of like gut or impulse decisions, just like mm-hmm. talk it through with some folks. That's something that really helps me as well. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it's not like a weakness, you know, to ask for that kind of feedback and support. And I think there's no, this idea that leaders – have all the right answers all the time, and that's mm-hmm. what makes a good leader. Mm-hmm. And that is just so not true. Right. In fact, it's a detriment to think that way. And I think mm-hmm. letting ego get in the way is maybe the biggest hang-up that leaders have to deal with. And I, I was just talking with my spiritual director today about a board meeting I just held where I brought in all the staff to present their work to the board. And I realized that that's a really rare thing that a lot of times leaders don't bring in the people who report to them to talk about their work. And I thought, well, why why wouldn't anyone Mm -hmm. do that? Mm -hmm. And my spiritual director said, Katie, it's because people want to control and Mm -hmm. their egos get in the way and they're worried about someone impressing the board more than they do. And I'm like, well, that is not an issue for me. So I think just kind of checking, um, checking our egos and saying, you know, having confidence in the skills that we have and also recognizing the gifts of the team that we have and lifting them up and affirming them, um, that should never be a threat. That should mm-hmm. always be kind of an attribute. So um, that's something that I think has helped me too, is just like trying to keep my ego in check along yeah. the way. I mean, speaking of ego, you know, when we think of leaders like culturally, 
it's always folks like Steve Jobs, Mark Zuckerberg, um, folks, a lot of times men, you know, when you think of the word leader. And didn't we do this exercise um, at the Sojourner Summit, you and I, we said um, we had a sheet, a worksheet of in our in our workshop. We had a worksheet of like descriptors and we asked people to circle what adjectives they think of when they think of a leader. Mm. And people typically circle the things that are like associated with being extroverted and Mm -hmm. um, assertive and things like that. And, you know, a lot of people, it comes to mind, those more like tech or politician type leaders. White, white dudes. (laughs) White dudes. Yes. Wealthy white dudes. And there's just a lot of ways to be a leader. And I'm wondering who are your leadership role models? Who do you look to um, as an example in leadership? Not the people that you talked about. (laughs) (laughs) No. Uh, Not dudes. I I was thinking about this question and thinking about who are the people that I've had an opportunity to work closely with, because for me, it's hard to have a role model in someone I don't personally know, because I think folks can put forward uh, an idea of who they are. But until Mm -hmm. you've actually worked with somebody, Mm -hmm. I I really don't think that I can call someone a role model. So who are the people in my life who live into the values that they espouse publicly in real ways? And the the person who immediately comes to mind is Dr. Mary Hunt, who's a theologian. And mm. she and her partner, Diane New, started the Women's Alliance for Theology, Ethics, and Ritual, or WADER, um, back in, gosh, I don't know how long they've been open, but for decades. I mean, they're, mm-hmm. they're second wave feminists. But I was an intern, uh, unpaid intern. I will say they helped me find housing uh, for oh, the good. summer. Yeah, because uh, being in D.C. with no pay was tough. But they, they really did find a lot of opportunities for us to engage the work in meaningful ways. And I think sometimes interns can just get thrown the worst kind of work. I mean, mm-hmm. just nothing that would contribute uh, to their actual professional growth. So Mary really modeled uh, for me and the other interns what feminist leadership could look like, meaning that even though I was an intern, I, I did have real value. Mm-hmm. And I was never asked to do anything that Mary and Diane weren't willing to do themselves and were often doing the work alongside us. And there was just something That's really awesome. affirming about that. And she was also super generous with her network of feminist theologians and biblical scholars because she she knows everybody. And the example I think of is a few months later, every year, the American Academy of Religion meets in a city. And Mary and Diane always have um, a pre-meeting for liberation theologians who are feminists. And um, I walked into the room and I mean, probably none of these names would mean anything to anyone else. But um, just prominent people like Elizabeth Schusler Fiorenza and uh, like just the iconic people in this space are all in this room. And it's very mm-hmm. intimidating to me. But I remember sitting in the circle and Mary introduced all of the interns like by name in the room and as a way of saying, and it wasn't um, a posturing at all. It was just in her mind, like we were really valued, even though we were young and we weren't scholars yet. Um, I was still in school at the time, but I always remember how affirming that felt for her to, to, to name us as like, these are part of the water community and these are people I want you to know. And that has always stuck out to me, um, as an example of how I want to be. That's really not about like the values that the academy would espouse or society would Mm -hmm. espouse or the church would espouse, but because she had worked closely with us and knew us as 
as people who contributed um, to the organization, to the cause overall, that even in the midst of all these famous scholars, she felt it was important to name us. And um, that has stuck with me ever since. And I, I have to say, I haven't seen many models like that since, but I hope to maybe be someone like that one day. What an awesome example to have so early in your career. Yes. Gosh. Set me up for future disappointment, but I'm grateful that I had it. (laughs) You know, it's really funny because my role model is very similar to yours. Um, Her name was Diane Killebrew, and she was one of the directors at uh, and coordinators of the dietetic internship program that I did at Vanderbilt. And I had a very similar experience. I was quote unquote, an intern. I was unpaid. I was part of a, you know, study for my future certification as a dietitian. Um, but I was on staff at Vanderbilt and they treated us like staff, staff members and, Mm -hmm. um, portrayed us that way. We were called interns, but, um, you know, we, we weren't really, we weren't treated like students. And what was amazing is after I graduated, she was like my first, champion and mentor when I started my job at University of Tennessee. She is amazing at connecting people and bringing folks together for a common purpose. And she did that right away with me. And honestly, it sounds very similar to the experience Mm -hmm. that you had. She um, opened up her network to me. It introduced me as a colleague and a peer did not ever treat me as a former student. And it was like, as soon as I graduated, she treated me as though we were equals, even though just the year before she had been my instructor. Mm-hmm. And that was, it was a really great lesson for me early in my career. It likewise, it showed me how I wanted to be. Um, and then when I was a preceptor for interns who then came and did rotations with me, um, for the next three or four years, uh, the dietetic interns at Vanderbilt came and rotated through my organization. And I was able to model that for them. And then when I was laid off, she immediately was like, let's look at your resume. And she, she really polished it up and introduced me to folks. And it, had I stayed in Nashville, she would have helped me find another job. So she's somebody that I've always thought about as being one of my first mentors, one of my first champions, and somebody that I think of now when I think of who I want to be and how I want to lead. And one thing that strikes me about both of our examples is I think that they model, have you heard of shine theory? I know you listen to Call Your Girlfriend. Love shine theory. Yeah. So for those who aren't familiar, this phrase shine theory was coined by Ann Friedman and Aminatou So, who are the co-hosts of the Call Your Girlfriend podcast. And shine theory is basically women supporting other women. When you shine, Mm -hmm. I shine. And, Mm -hmm. um, we are sort of set up as women to view each other as competition. And when we really kind of let go of that and, and really root for our friends and peers and colleagues to succeed, like we succeed by association as well. When we think about it that way, that's something that, you know, both of our mentors, they did not see us as like the young folks nipping at their heels to take their jobs. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. they saw us as, you know, folks that they wanted to shine. And so mm-hmm. I encourage, especially women in leadership to really think about shine theory and think about really lifting up other women. And I don't know about you, but I'm drawn to people who I see authentically celebrating other people. I mean, it's yeah. There's something so attractive about not just the person who's getting all the attention, but the person who's championing them and celebrating them. I mean, 
that's the kind of person I want to be in relationship with. And Mm -hmm. I think it also stands in the face of this scarcity mentality Mm -hmm. that's connected to competition, that, that there's not enough space for all of us, that there's not enough resources for all of us, that there's not enough opportunity for all of us. But the reality is like, we need everybody. Yes. And especially in the kind of work that you and I do. I mean, this is not a time to be dividing or fighting over who's doing what. I mean, I think that there are times when we want to critique one another, Mm -hmm. but saying there's not enough space for all of us, that's just, that's the patriarchy at work. And I think shine Mm -hmm. theory just really is a great smashing of the patriarchy in a, in a very positive way, because it's saying we're not buying into this idea that we have to compete with each other. In fact, we want to create space for everybody at the table. Yep. This makes me think of something slightly different, but I'm wondering if you've had this experience where now that I'm back in a leadership role, I'm finding that people are but buddying up with me again. And mm. it feels very inauthentic mm. to feel like, oh, well, this person wouldn't give me the time of day when I was kind of a, not a nobody, but not in leadership, not in a position of power. Mm-hmm. And then feeling like, oh, um, I can kind of see like the transparency of, oh, well, now Katie is worth my time and, oh, I'm going to ask her for some favor. So I don't know how you deal with that, but it's definitely one of those things where I'm like, this does not feel like shine theory. This feels like an opportunistic, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. aren't we all women in the movement together? And I'm I'm trying to sort out how to deal with those kinds of dynamics. Because I think it's just the reality that being in a position of of leadership, like people do see it as an opportunity for them to climb the ladder. And um, I don't know how to walk that line of generosity versus being being used. Oh, that is so complicated. I would not say that I deal with that really. I think um, your current leadership title has a certain cachet that mine does not. I mean, you're based, you're a national organization based in mm-hmm. DC with, with resources, you know, there's, I could see folks coming at you with more transactional yeah. type approaches. I don't, I wouldn't say that I get that in this role. I saw it a lot at university of Mississippi while I was there. Mm-hmm. I saw that was where I was introduced to folks who were schmoozing. I mean, 18 to 22 year olds, you know, we were all undergrads and I, I met folks who were just, it was obvious that they were schmoozing. They would go find the most powerful person in the room. So I hate that feeling of having to question, like, is this person, you know, really being kind to me or, or nice to me because of me or because of something I have that they want. Um, and that just, that feeling is gross and I don't really have any (laughs) advice on how to, navigate it honestly maybe just it's gross and don't yes don't do it and I'm gonna try not to do it at the same time I struggle when I'm in a room with someone who is powerful like sometimes I just kind of want to ignore that they're there Mm -hmm. and then I think am I missing out on opportunities that could be authentic by just assuming that that person Mm -hmm. doesn't want to engage with me or they're gonna perceive that I'm using them for some for my Mm -hmm. own gain and I, I, th- that's an area where I'm going to have to do some work because, like I said, I've been in spaces where there is someone who I really want to connect with and I just feel like tongue tied and don't want to be that person. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I think maybe that's just an area yeah. of growth for me. And those folks are human too. So you don't want to like ignore somebody because you, yeah, know. you perceive that they might 
not want to be approached or whatever, but also they're human. I mean, all of that is really hard. And I think that's just being authentic, like committing to a value of like authenticity in our relationships. Um, if I have a reason to speak to somebody, it's, it doesn't, it shouldn't matter. their like status relative to mine. I don't know. Mm. And we could all probably stand to just be kinder to each other in general. So True. I don't know. But this, this does make me think about like power dynamics in churches. And when mm-hmm. folks are leaders in a church, like, I don't know, the power dynamics just inherent to leadership are always really tricky. And I wonder about like what you think about leadership in mm-hmm. the church. Are we doing it right? <laughs> <laughs> I I think the a thing that makes church leadership or spiritual leadership even trickier is claiming a moral mm-hmm. authority, which uh, even if that's not something that I would personally claim, I think the title and mm-hmm. the position, there's an assumption that the, I'm, I'm leading people morally in the kind of decisions that they should be making. So I think there's an extreme caution that um, that we have to have when we're being prescriptive, um, like in preaching, for example, or, you know, really owning up to this is my particular perspective in this moment. Um, and also own up to the different ways that we make mistakes and misuse our power because we're all susceptible to that. And I think that that's, that's the thing that I think about in my leadership is how are the ways that I'm susceptible to misusing my, Mm -hmm. my power. And I think the more honesty we can have about that, the less likely we are to hurt each other. And I think that sometimes I toe the line too far on not using my power at all. And sometimes that isn't the right option Mm -hmm. either. Like there are times when it's important to stand up and and use the power and, and be prophetic and think about what is the thing that's not being said. And I mean, just an example, I, I was in recently, um, it was in a work situation. There were older white women who cut off the only black woman in the room, younger black Mm. woman in the room. And, um, I decided to speak up about it and I'm like, I can use my leadership power and my status as a white woman to call out these other white Mm -hmm. women because I knew that the black woman wasn't going to say anything Mm -hmm. and, or didn't feel like she could. And was probably angry (laughs) as I was, but like making those decisions in the moment of like, okay, what can I leverage now? Even if I don't do it perfectly rather than just not doing anything Mm -hmm. at all. And like allowing ourselves to be imperfect, but still having tried, still having done something instead of not saying anything. And I think that that's the line that I'm constantly trying to figure out is when do I need to speak up? um, Because someone else might not feel like they can, or they might not be heard by the people who need to hear it. Yeah, that's so important. And I think that that is a really great reminder to all of us that that's something those of us that have a leadership position or any kind of power or platform really need to be thinking about. So we're running out of time. Should we move on to what we're reading and listening to? Yes, I am. I'm slightly embarrassed at what I'm Oh, Lord, I'm excited. Maybe I shouldn't be. No, it's, it's, it's my own kind of just self-questioning. But okay, what I have been listening to, because I feel like I need as much positivity in my brain as humanly Mm -hmm. possible right now. So I'm not filling my head with the Mm -hmm. news too much or just negativity in general. So I stumbled upon, I think, in a Twitter thread, 
this podcast called The Affirmation Pod mm. with Josie Ong. And I really have to deal with my inner critic that thinks stuff like that. This is silly. <laughs> but basically, she just does these short five-minute affirmations um, that I listen to as I'm getting ready for the day or in the middle of the day when I'm just starting to feel down. Um, and again, I'm not someone who practices affirmations, but what I have found as she's talking about different things that would apply to any of us, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the great thing about affirmations. Um, it's kind of like your horoscope, like you can uh-huh. read yourself into it. So I, as she's saying things that are affirming, I think in my brain, I connect them with moments in my life that resonate with what she's saying. And I, I really do believe that's how we create new channels in our brains, um, like the brain circuitry changes mm-hmm. as we associate words with different memories and things. So what that's a great thing for me to kind of get a boost is she's saying positive things. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I can do that. I have done that. I have been positive. I have worked through things. Let me remind myself of all the times that I have overcome adversity. So um, if you're looking for something positive to fill um, and something quick to kind of like put in your ears in the morning on your way to work or when you're having a tough day, I really recommend it. It's the Affirmation Pod with Josie Ong. I love that. I'm excited. I'm going to have to download that. I've been listening to more podcasts lately and the one I'm listening to now is fascinating. So I've been kind of on a a true true story kick and I Mm -hmm. finished, I recommend The Dropout, which was about Elizabeth Holmes, the leader of Theranos. So that is the the expose basically of the um, blood testing technology that was supposed to do all these tests out of one drop of blood. And it was all just like fake and she was removed from the company and she's, um, she's, so all of this has been in the news, but the dropout podcast really is like a journalistic exploration of that story and how it, how Theranos came to be. And then it's how it really just imploded from the inside. It's really, really fascinating. And in a similar vein, I'm listening to right now Running From Cops, which is season three of the show Headlong. And it's focusing on that show, Cops, that... Bad boys. Bad yes. Boys. Like early reality TV. Yes, it was one of the first. And it's been on since the like mid-80s. And it started when the drug war really started. And it's still on. And I had no idea that this show is still on its been 30 years it's spun off like copycat shows and so this podcast running with cops what they're doing is exploring how how the show cops has influenced our american culture's perceptions of crime how -hmm. how we think about um, appropriate policing techniques and strategies like our almost our empathy for the cops over the um, suspects and because it's mm-hmm. shot from the perspective of the police and not from the perspective right. of, the, of the suspects. And it really goes into like the consent and do people really sign? Like, why would anybody sign a consent form to be on cops and right. surprise? Like, at your worst moment. Yes, at your worst moment. Well, a lot of them are drunk or high when they sign it. And a lot of them are um, coerced or the producer will come up and say, I need you to sign this release. And people think by the word release, 
this is the the document they signed to to go home to get released instead of wow. this is your TV release wow. and so so manipulative yeah like all this manipulation that goes into it and then there's a few cities now so Spokane Washington is one of the cities where cops has filmed apparently for a long time and they are actually about to vote on whether or not to remove cops from their town because of what it's doing to public perceptions of police and crime and like do people have a right to privacy in those mm-hmm. moments and the questions like that. So it's been really fascinating. Um, I think if you're interested in thinking about like mass incarceration in our country and crime and how we think about it and talk about it, narratives of crime, I think you'd really like it. So yeah, that's my recommendation is running from cops and uh, the dropout. <laughs> those are two podcasts I've been really into lately. Nice. So who are our kindreds of the moment yes. for this episode? I'm excited about this one. It fits right into our uh, leadership topic. I was thinking about women in leadership in the church. And there was a study done last year called the State of Clergy Women in the U.S. And almost half of mainline uh, denominations, Masters of Divinity programs and seminaries, almost half of the students' enrollments are women, but only but less than a third of them actually go on to become ordained clergy or pastors in mainline congregations. And there are some folks who are wanting to explore why that is, what factors might lead women to either um, become clergy but only stick around for a year or two, or what might keep a woman from becoming ordained. And so today's kindred of the moment is Elizabeth Henry and the Thriving in Ministry program at Millsaps College at the Center for Ministry there. They're based out of Jackson. They have a a grant-funded project called Thriving in Ministry, and it's specifically designed to support new female pastors, either right Mm -hmm. out of seminary or in in a church appointment for the very first time. Because they're trying to, what they found is what keeps or what I guess what keeps women from succeeding in a church appointment like that as a senior pastor is an isolation and loneliness, kind of a lack of support group, um, dealing with issues of sexism. And so what they're trying to do with the Thriving in Ministry program is, is help uh, put together a cohort of support for women in ministry to, to help them work through some of those issues um, so that they can succeed in ministry, basically. So um, did you have anything else you wanted to add? I know you are familiar with this program, too. Well, just that I think that they're still accepting applicants for their first cohort. Yes. So um, we're not 100% sure, so don't quote us on that, but we'll link to Thriving in Ministries website so you can go take a look and i imagine that this is a program that they'll have several cohorts with so if you don't make it into this round um maybe the next time they're opening it up you could be part of it i also wanted to mention if you are a clergy woman and you're under the age of 40 there's the young clergy women project um that is a great way to meet virtually with other clergy women and they have a closed facebook group with lots of great resources and um places for you to ask questions or get support around what it's like to be a young clergywoman in a ministry awesome. setting. So check them out too. Yeah. Um, and find support, right? Yeah. Like that's what this whole episode's about. Find your people yes. and ask them to help you. Yes. <laughs> And um, a note about the Thriving in Ministry program, it's not just for Mississippi-based clergy, and it's not just for Methodist clergy. Um, It's housed at the um, Center for Ministry, which is a Methodist um, conference office. But it's for any denomination, and I believe it's women across the Southeast. 
I was going to say that. Yeah. yeah. I don't think it's just for people in Mississippi. Yeah. So definitely mm-hmm. look into it. And we love Elizabeth. She's yeah. a great human being. We're so glad she's in a leadership position mm-hmm. uh, at this program. It's awesome. And I'm very happy to be, you know, amplifying the um, the program that she's working on and, and helping that shine. You know, let's pass it on. Absolutely. Thriving in ministry. Yeah. So we'll link to that in the show notes. Um, so this is the end of our episode for today. Our next episode is going to be about being Christians who support abortion access. Yep. So stay tuned for that. Um, It should be a really good conversation. And in the meantime, please help us out by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're looking for another way to support us, please consider becoming a patron. Um, Your monthly contribution helps us cover the cost of the show. So go to patreon.com slash kindreds to support us today. All right, Katie. Well, I hope you have a lovely weekend and I will talk to you on our next episode. Talk to you then. Thanks for listening. You can find us on our website, kindredspodcast.com. That's kindreds with an S. Or you can send us an email at team at kindredspodcast.com. You can also follow me, Katie, on Twitter at Katie Zay. That's Katie with an E-Y-Z-E-H. Please send us your thoughts, ideas, and questions. We'd love to hear from you.